Today we're going to talk about uh, another bit of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Last week we began a series called Directions for Life uh, based on uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And last week, you remember Pastor Cindy talked about uh, this whole idea of enduring and overcoming hardships. And I think we'd all agree, life's got some hardships, right? I mean, you may be in one right now, you know? But I mean, the, but Jesus has given us a path and a hope to get through it. And today we're going to move on to the next section, and we're going to talk about. Jesus spent some time talking about the law. Okay, talking about the law. Now we all know, you know, if we've talked about the law before in the Old Testament, what it really did was it laid out pretty specifically and prescriptively how to live, right? Things to do, things not to do. So. So we've all, you've heard, you've been a part of discussion. So I've got a question. We always do questions here, right? So what are some of the things, what kind of things did the law talk about? Just name a few. What are some of the topics that the law covered? Sacrifices, okay. What else? Dietary rules, things to eat or not eat, yeah. What else? Had the commandments. So the, and so the commandments like, Behavior, right? Behavior. Don't, you know, murder. Talked about murder. Talked about lying. Talked about stealing. Talked about adultery, right? I mean, it, it, it talked about keeping the Sabbath holy. The, the, the law, okay, had all these things. So as we, let's kind of keep that in mind now as we read today's scripture, and then we'll see what God's got to say about it. So today... Uh, we're going to be in Matthew 5, verses 17 to 26. Matthew 5, 17 to 26. There are Bibles there in the pew, or if you got yours, but or the chairs. But, uh, but we'll also have it on the screen. So let's read Matthew 5, 17 to 26. This is, this is Jesus speaking now. Okay, let's remember that. This is Jesus. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard it said uh, to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, Anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which uh, is not a term we use often, but that's a term of contempt, okay, in their, in their time, is answerable to the court. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar there, you remember that a brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there. In front of the altar, first, go be reconciled 
with that person and then come back and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer who may be thrown into prison. And truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Okay. Yeah. So now, in these first few verses, Jesus uh, talks about his relationship with the law. Right? And he said that he had not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Now, the law, which had, we talked about that earlier, what some of the bits of that were, right? Um, and that's what we really think of today is the first five books of the Bible, okay? Right? That was given, this is like 14 generations later. That, that had been given like 14 generations ago, and now this is Jesus speaking about it right, right now, okay? Uh, and about... And, and about laying out the expectations of how people should, should live. Okay, so now, over those 14 generations, in their attempt to gain God's approval, the Pharisees, among others, had taken the basics of the law that God had given them, and they had sort of supercharged them, okay, by adding hundreds and hundreds of other rules and laws and regulations that were actually designed to try and help people guarantee righteousness. It was like all, you know, down to minutia of how many steps you could take on Sunday. I mean, that's why we park close, you know? It's, I mean, there were, there were so many rules that, that, that they were adding and, and, and when you think about it, it's sad because, I mean, it's not like they were adding it so that, you know, they, they could make your life hard. They were trying to actually do it to help people get to God. They, 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 I think their intent was probably good, but, but did it work? No. No, it didn't work, okay? Now, but think about it. But at that time, now, so now remember, this is before Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. So like we don't have the cross yet, okay? So we still just have the law, right? So, but now Jesus shows up, and he and he just told him there's a whole group of people. It's the Sermon on the Mount, right? He's preaching a big sermon, and he just says that unless and he, like it's like a point of you, it's like he's pointing at you, and he's saying unless your righteousness, all you folks who are hearing me, okay, exceeds, is better than, is greater than the righteousness of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, no, if you had been there, how would that make you feel when you heard that? Yeah, it would make you feel bad. So it would make you feel somehow this is unachievable. If, if the folks who are supposedly the, the best at it, right, I mean, you know, the A-team... And Jesus just said, unless you're even better than them. Well, I mean, if you were better than them, wouldn't you be one of them? I mean, you know, you, okay. So, I mean, imagine what, how people would have felt. I think they might have felt discouraged even. To say, well, then, you know, what's to become of me? Okay, so 
But now in the verses that follow, Jesus drives home the point uh, by comparing the, the, the common standards and understanding of the law for what's right and wrong to the standards that Jesus had actually set. Verses 21 and 22, he said, you've heard it said to a people long ago, you shall not murder, but anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is even angry with a brother or sister, right? We read that, will be subject to judgment. Okay, now, I want to step aside here for just a second. I'll ask you, I just want you to think about something with me. Have you ever thought about how your actions, the things you do in life, how your actions come about? How they, how they come to be? Okay, well, I think if you think about it for a minute, and that's actually the first thing, is if you think about it, the first thing we do is we think about something. We think about something, right? And then after we think about it, at some point we've thought about it so much, we start talking about it. And then once we start talking about it with others, we build up enough inertia, and then we do it. For example, if you decide you don't like someone, for whatever reason, and you keep thinking about it. Do you start to like them better? No. <laughs> you, you get to liking them less, right? You keep coming up with more things not to like. And you'll begin tearing that person down. Eventually, you'll start talking about it. You've done it in your mind. Now you'll start talking to other people. And you'll start tearing them down. You'll, you'll start telling them stuff about them. And eventually, once you've talked about it enough, you'll build up enough anger or frustration or whatever about them that it will lead you to some kind of action. And that action, I mean, obviously in the world we live in today can sometimes be physical violence. Fortunately, not often, but it can also be kind of more passive-aggressive, uh, you know, like posting something negative about them online or slandering them to other people out of a, a, an attempt to harm them, out of an attempt to damage their reputation. Another example could be lustful or impure thoughts. They'll lead you to impure talk, and it can lead you eventually to lustful or impure action. It can become, it can start so many ways. It can be coveting someone's spouse, someone's car, someone's bank account. I mean, the list is, the list is really endless, isn't it? Okay, but, but, I, but we need to be certain of this. Once any of us start thinking about something that is sinful and wrong, once we start thinking about it, we might think, well, that's just me thinking. That's not, you know, not. Okay? Once you start thinking about it, Satan will gladly put fuel on that fire. And he will give you more things to dislike. And then he will bring people who will agree with you so you'll talk about it with them. And you will end up eventually leading to action. Look, it was well understood and I think most of us would agree, it's well understood that the act of murder is wrong. I think we could all agree on that, right? I get 100% agreement, okay? Yeah, 
The act of murder is wrong. But now what Jesus is clarifying here is not only is the act of murder wrong, but the thoughts and words that lead up to the act are just as sinful as the act itself. So we can just simply put, even sinful thoughts are sinful. They're wrong. Okay, now... This creates a dilemma, right? Because why are our thoughts so difficult to control? If it all starts with thinking, why, why are our thoughts so difficult to control? Now what's that? They come and go. Yeah, if they're not controlled by God, yeah, then they just come and go. They're all involved. But, you know, when we, when we start thinking, is it, have you ever known? It's a little bit like, we've talked before, this is maybe a not, this example I think of, but like you sit down and you say, I want to read my Bible. I want, I want to take 10 minutes this morning, and before I go out, I, want to, I just want to read Scripture. So that you've intended, that's what you plan to do, right? But right there while you're reading it, all of a sudden you start thinking, I need to do laundry. I, my car needs an oil change. Uh, I need to get cash. I don't have any cash for lunch today. I mean, do you ever that ever happened to you? Like the like like the minute the minute you sit down to try and read God's word, all of a sudden <laughs> crazy things come into your head that you don't even want to have there, but they come in. Is that why our thoughts are hard to control? If you can't even intentionally sit down and go for the next five or ten minutes, I'm just going to focus on God's word. You know, I, I, I think I've told some of you before, I finally tried to deal with that by putting a post-it note beside me so that the minute that, you know, wash the car, you know, I, I just write it down because then I can, I can forget about it, you know, try to get back to this. But, but it, 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 I guess the reason I'm bringing this up is I want us to understand that our, yes, we understand that the actions are wrong, but we need to understand we have a challenge even with our thoughts. We have a dilemma, even with our thoughts, okay, that lead to the actions. Now, Jesus, in what Jesus just said about even that the sinful thoughts were wrong, what we really need to understand is that Jesus was not changing the law. Remember, Jesus, with God, was was the author of the law. So, I mean, you know, it was his. So, what he's really doing is Jesus is just clarifying the people there what the original meaning of the law was. He's, he's helping them understand more deeply that, that yeah, that the, they got the, sur- the surface act, but what they needed to understand is that it's everything that leads to it as well, that leads to, it's a step. Look, then the next verse in verse 23, it begins with... We, we kind of have fun with this before, but it begins with the word therefore, you know, and you know the old thing about anytime there's a therefore, you need to say what's the therefore, therefore. Okay, but it's, it's because it's there because that means that everything that's about to follow is the result of what was just said, right? So we need to pay attention to it. And since Jesus has now clarified that our impure and sinful thoughts make us just as guilty under the law as the act itself... Then he says, so now if you're about to make a, an offering, 
to offer something at the altar before God, and you now realize that although you haven't physically even harmed someone, you've thought about how much you don't like them. Or you've thought about how much, how, you know, how all, all these things you might like to see happen to them. Or it would be okay with you if they lost their job. Or, you know, just whatever it is. He's saying that you need to stop and you need to deal with it before you make your offering. Because your thoughts are sinful. And you, God does not going to want to receive an offering from someone who is, do you see what I mean? Carrying sinful behavior to the altar. So, I mean, and, and I'm sorry, it has to do with the condition of the heart. And so, for example, on a Sunday morning, let's, let's try to bring that, you know, since we don't, like, sacrifice animals, you know, like, let's try to bring this into today. How could that look for you and me? Well, it could look like, so it's on a Sunday morning, uh, you're in church, it's time of uh, worship, and while you're praising, singing praises to God, uh, the Holy Spirit impresses on you something that you've thought or said that was hurtful to someone or uh, something damaging to them. Well, then, like right after church, you should go at it to put things right. You, you should make that a priority. Uh, it might require a phone call. It might require a personal face-to-face -face visit. But he's, what he's saying is, when, once you become aware that, and, that you've done this, he's saying, don't just leave it. You can't just ignore it because it's just the same as having done it. So then scripture says, once you've been reconciled to that person, then you can return to the altar and you can give your offering with freedom and joy, right? Because you've, you're, 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 you've been reconciled and you have a clear conscience before God. This whole thing of, of sinful thoughts and leading to sinful act, uh, talk, leading to sinful actions, what, where the past, where the Pharisees and the people had really kept it all about actions, it's all about don't do this or if you do it, you're wrong, what Jesus is really talking about over here is that it's your heart. It starts with your heart and the condition of your heart. Because think about it. In, in, in God's word, it talks about, you know, David said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's other verses later that say that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So if my heart is full of God's word, it's full of love, it's full of joy and peace, what will come out of my mouth, the, ta the, uh, the thoughts, the words will be loving, healing, do you get, see where I'm going? Peaceful thoughts, which will lead me then to do loving, kind, peaceful actions. If my heart is wrong, if my heart is sinful, if my heart is not yielded to God, then I am a sucker for Satan. Right? I am I'm easy target for him to give me thoughts that will make me angry, that will make me offended, that will make me dissatisfied, which will lead me then to the same kind of talk and the same kind of sinful action. We have been called 
to be reconcilers, to be God. When, when Jesus came and died for us, he reconciled us to God. He paid, he made things right between us and God. He forgave, he paid for our sins. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, it said that all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, gave us also the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Jesus Jesus did not make any of us grovel or beg for his forgiveness. Did he? We make people grovel and beg pretty often. Anybody know what I mean? Okay. We ought to be doing the same for others. We have been given a ministry of reconciliation to bring people back in the alignment. Verses 25 and 26 then also addresses disputes that have gone too far and that would seem to require a judge to settle the matter. Jesus says, if you've done wrong to someone... This isn't somebody's done to you. He's saying, if you're the one, if you're the guilty party here, if you've done wrong to somebody, do something about it. Fix it. Don't delay. Settle the matter between the two of you. Resolve it before you get to court. Why would Jesus command us to resolve issues before they end up in court? So it won't go any further. Why is that important for it not to go any further? Because it can get worse. Because once, think about any trial, you know, a court issue you know about. Look, you can think you know how it's going to end up. But once you hand it over to the judge, it's out of your hands. Your your opportunity to negotiate or, or to settle it with the other person has now ended. Right? It, it, the next step is going to be you are going to be told what to do. Okay? Um, so there's a good reason to, to, to negotiate. But you know, this, I think this passage, this part of his, his sermon, I actually think it also has another level of meaning for us too. And I think it's a, a, a spiritual one for eternity. Okay? Which is which I think that this example is it's critical then, think about it, it's critical for you and I to be reconciled to God, to become a follower of Jesus and be reconciled to God before we face the heavenly judge. Before when we die, when we face the heavenly judge, because at the point we face the heavenly judge, there is no, there's no negotiating. There is only judgment. And you are either a follower of Christ and welcome, or you hear, I never knew you. There's no, there, there's no other 
position. And so he's saying, not only with people be reconciled, but make sure you're also reconciled before you get to the judge for your eternity as well. Look, I think too, what we ought to all see out of, out of what we've talked about here so far is that kind of what Jesus is actually saying is, folks, it's impossible for you to live a righteous, uh, sinless life just by working harder at it. Pharisees tried really hard, didn't do it, and, and they failed. And look, we will only, you know, we're only going to clearly know right from wrong, not when we try harder to meet God's standards, right? We're only going to know it when we yield ourselves to Jesus, when we become followers of Jesus, when he gives us a new heart when he covers us with his blood. And then Jesus, out of, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he helps us to live righteously. Not by external means. The law, those actions don't murder. Don't, that's, all, that's like external pressure, right? It's, all, it's, it's like, you know, a mother telling her kids to go to bed. You can try. But isn't it better if the kid said internally, I'm tired, I should go to bed, I want to go to bed. There's a difference to there, right? One is an internal call, another is an external pressure, okay? God, Jesus didn't come to make you and me better at keeping checklists and following rules. The world will give you checklists and rules. Jesus will give you a new heart. And it will change the desires of your heart so that you don't need the external checklists and rules trying to push you into a certain shape or behavior because your heart simply desires it. Jesus is offering us to be reconciled so that we're changed from the inside out. So what about you and me today, right? How do we apply this to our life? Uh, what are we supposed to do with these directions that we've, we've talked about here, these verses? And Obviously, uh, the old way of living with its rules and checklists didn't, didn't work at producing righteousness. Uh, so how can we live righteously? How can we experience a new kind of righteousness? Uh, that one from the inside out. And obviously, the first answer is to become a follower of Jesus. When we receive Jesus, because he, remember what he said? I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. So when we receive Jesus, we're receiving the fulfillment of the law. We're, we now have the, 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 the possibility of, like, being better than. The, you see what I mean? Because we, we, can actually, we can actually get there when Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And the best part about that, it's what he does. It's the offer that he makes when we become a follower of Jesus. Because remember, things start with our heart. And some of us have had a pretty beat up and damaged heart from the things life has done to us. And what he will do is he will give you a new heart. He will replace your damaged, hurting, broken heart with a new one, a heart of flesh, a heart 
I heard a guy say one time, and I've always loved this phrase, he'll give you a heart that has ears on it, a heart that can hear him. I love that picture of a heart with ears. But, it was, but think about it. It's a heart that is no longer hard to the Word of God, but it has ears that can hear the Word of God and can receive the love of God. He will give you a new heart that can hear God's voice. So we can invite God to fill you with His Holy Spirit, and we can ask the Holy Spirit to give us strength then to resist those temptations that want to enter our minds, that want to change, want to damage our thoughts and harm our speech and, and eventually lead us to actions. We can overcome that evil. We can also fill our hearts with the Word of God by reading the Bible. We can help. We can read it every day. So it's what we think about, which means we will start to talk about it. When you've, if you've only memorized, maybe you've memorized any Bible verses. Has anybody memorized a few Bible verses? Anybody know a few? You know, it's not a contest, but you know a few. If you, but here's my only reason. Even if you couldn't tell me where it's found, but you know them, or you know them basically. Do you ever notice how often, in, when you're going through in li- something in life, that verse will come to mind? It'll, it'll, it'll come up, and it might help. It's kind of like a rudder. It'll kind of help steer you away from trouble or steer you out of trouble. Okay, the more that we put God's word in our heart, the more it will help guide us, which will affect our speech and our actions. That Matthew twelve thirty four is the verse that it talks about that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so we want to have our hearts full of God's word because that will guide us. So becoming a follower of Jesus is the first step to a new kind of righteousness. The second thing is to understand the power of our words. Understand the power of our words. Remember Proverbs 18.21. We've talked about this before. The tongue, our words, the tongue has the power of life and death. Don't gossip about other people. Don't slander other people. We just read, God views that as murdering them with your tongue. Folks, from God's perspective, let me want to really be clear, slandering someone else, gossiping with a, with a harmful intent, from God's viewpoint, you've done the same thing as if you killed them. That's pretty strong. That ought to affect how we think. And, and, what, and where we allow our minds to go. Okay? Don't use words, your words, to fit in judgment of other people. And we can do that pretty quickly. We can, we can come to a point where, if we're not careful, we can start to think, well, that person's worthless. That person's, do you know what I mean? We can start to make feelings and comments and statements about people. Romans 14.4 says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them to stand. You and I have never been called to be judges. Okay? That's God's job. Our job is to show the love of God, show the love of God to those people. So use your power of your words wisely. Boy, the more you think about this, the more it can excite you. 
Okay, now this is really good stuff if you think about this because if, if, if it's true, and it is, that your words are powerful, and if your words can be used in, with such harm and accomplish such evil, then on the other side, imagine the blessing and the power that can come from your words. Imagine if you, over your family, to your children, to your grandchildren, you speak blessing and hope and joy over their lives. You, you, tell, you, know, you tell them, you know, there's kind of the old story about the little kid holding up their artwork. It's not really very good. I mean, by the right, you know, by, you know, the auction house standards. But when grandma sees it or grandpa sees it, it's the most beautiful artwork in the world, isn't it? And you tell them, honey, I love that artwork. That is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And have you ever noticed the little smile that comes on their face? Because you've just filled their hearts with love. Imagine if you'd gone the other way and said, honey, that's not that good. Come back when, when you can do it better. You think they'd ever show you another drawing? No. So just apply that now to your life. Imagine the people around you, if you're encouraging and speak hope and blessing over them, and you're praying for them. Grandparents, okay? You can pray for your grandchildren every day, even if they're a half a world away. Mine are a thousand miles away. But I can pray for them. I can ask God to surround them with his blessing and protection and love, and I can speak blessing over their lives and their future. Wouldn't you like to think that somebody had been doing that for you for years over your life? I mean, think about the power, the ongoing power that we can have and of impact by using our, the power of our words. We can pray for other people, and especially the members of our own family, especially the ones who are not yet followers of Jesus, that God would reveal himself to them and surround them and draw him, them to himself. James 5.16 encourages us by saying, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Your prayers have power. Your spoken words have power. You literally, you literally, I'm not exaggerating, you hold the power to literally change a person's life with your words. So we should use them wisely. Third, final thing, and it's what was talked about in this whole passage, is we should be a peacemaker. Reconciler, a peacemaker. A, a lot of us, I, I, don't, I don't meddle too much, I hope. I'm going to meddle for just a moment, okay? A lot of us, if we're not careful, can get in a habit of defending ourselves when we really just need to be reconciling to someone else. You know, I mean, have you ever known anybody who really never apologizes for anything they do? And if they do, they say, you know, sorry, but. Okay, and you know what, and then they go on to rationalize why, what it was really right, but I'm apologizing, you know. Look, that's not an apology. If there's a but, that's not an apology. Okay? God has called us to be peacemakers. And remember the verse that said that, that Jesus 
paid the price and reconciled us. He didn't, he didn't make you grovel. He didn't make me grovel. He didn't make me get down on my knees and beg him to cover me with his blood and forgive me of my sin. He did, Remember it says in Scripture that he said, while we were yet sinners, before we knew God, before we even cared about him, before we... If we had known before that Jesus got hung on a cross and bled and died for us, we'd gone, well, we would have not cared. Today, that sounds awful because we know. But before, but he was willing to pay the price when you still felt that way. Why can't you and I forgive some people close by? Is it really worth it? God is, you know, Jesus was willing to die for you. He, he didn't make you grovel, and he didn't say, you know, but. I paid for you, but. You got you to gotta really behave yourself. You got to really give a lot of money to church. You got to you know, I mean, just think of all the stuff. You know, I mean, that if he had said, we'd probably, some of us said, well, I'll try. But that would have been right back to the law. It would have just been right back to the old deal. The only reason it's a new way to, of righteousness is because it's the only one that ever worked. Because, because he paid the whole thing and he didn't demand anything of you except to give him your heart. To be willing to live for him and let him live through you. And so we need to understand that the law was never... It was never really so much about defining like impurity and murder and stealing. And it was really about calling people to live in love and forgiveness and reconciliation. Does that make sense? Because it's all back here in the beginnings. It's what's in your mind and what's in your heart. And so he's saying, come and be reconciled to me because then all of these other things become far easier to deal with. And here's the other reason we want to be peacemakers is because Matthew 5, 9 called it out. It said last week when Pastor Cindy was reading that part of the, of the, the Beatitudes, it says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. I think you and I both want to be called children of God and those people are the peacemakers. So today, would you guys stand with me as we get ready to close? So reconciliation, just to be clear, it, it means to restore a broken relationship. Right? Uh, that could be between you and God. It can be between you and someone else. Reconciliation involves, you know, usually some acknowledgement, some apologies, and some forgiveness, you know, but out of a desire for unity, out of desire for peace and harmony and also out of a desire for you to be known as a peacemaker and be blessed. So today, just everybody bow your heads. Nobody looking around. If you've realized, as we've been talking today here, that there's someone you need to go to and become a Matthew 5-9 peacemaker with, not to defend yourself, but to pursue reconciliation you'd say yeah there's at least one person I need to I need to do that with just raise your hand thank you you can put your hands down Lord today God Lord we want to be peacemakers because you've called us to be peacemakers 
And Lord, after the price you paid for us, you didn't make us beg and grovel, and you didn't say, but. Lord, you just paid the price, and you draw us, call us to yourself. Lord, help us to be willing to be the same. God, I pray that even this week, we would take steps, Lord, towards reconciliation. And Lord, I just pray now that you would give us wisdom as we go forward. Lord, help us to live our lives to your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name. Finally, brothers, rejoice, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, and agree with one another. Live in peace, and the love of, uh, and the God of love and peace will be with you.